0: You are live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with my good friend, Carmi Levy. We've got a great program. Our show is all about the world of apps, whether it's smartphones or in cars, your TV, and just mobile technology in general. On today's program, we'll be talking about the rise of Chinese shopping apps. Timu, I don't think a lot of people have heard about it yet, is uh, second to only Amazon in downloads on the app stores right now. We'll also be talking about Twitter and uh, media Bias. Elon Musk is going after all the public broadcaster news organizations, labeling them as state-sponsored media. But is he inherently biased in doing this himself? And uh, we'll talk about airline check-in kiosks. Airline travel is already chaos. It looks like Alaska Airlines is going to do away with the check-in kiosks, the automated ones in airports. We'll uh, get to the bottom of that. Uh, Let's start off with some of the news, uh, Carmi. And this is uh, interesting, and this has been developing over the past uh, few years. Uh, Apple... They have their whole ecosystem uh, with their smartphones. They've got the Apple wallets where you can put in your debit cards and credit cards. Uh, but down in the U.S., they have also uh, been introducing kind of uh, payment plans for things that you buy through your Apple wallet. and Now they're going to have savings accounts uh, as well. Is Apple becoming a bank?
1: Uh, I think that they're not a bank yet, but they're certainly on the road toward becoming a bank. Unlike any other technology company, Apple controls more of the ecosystem uh, than anyone else. They own the hardware, they own the operating system, they own all the software that runs on top of it, uh, the app store that feeds it, uh, all of the other ancillary devices that are connected to it. and so. It makes sense for Apple because they have so much control over that end user experience and over every link in that chain, so to speak, uh, that the next logical uh, area of growth as they've gone beyond services is financial services, um, because why would they want to leave some of that revenue to financial partners when they can have that revenue to themselves? Um, and so apple wallet was just you know sort of the first uh, move in that direction a few years back and they've been gradually expanding the envelope of their financial related offerings since then uh you know you can you can pay you can apple pay you can apple pay later you can break it up into a number of, of equal payments and span them out over time that was another tell that they wanted to be kind of like a financial provider Um, And it's it's so incredibly easy because as you're making the arrangements for your devices for the services that feed the devices well, why not just do your banking right within the device itself and so this extension to, to Apple Card is essentially a savings account with a competitive interest rate uh and uh and it really does look you know if it looks and sounds and and feels like a duck it probably is and that's really what it feels like uh it almost feels like apple is replicating uh, at least parts of the banking experience starting with uh with a, uh, a savings account but uh bit by bit you can see them adding additional features additional offerings additional pieces of the financial puzzle over the next number of years until we all turn around and realize, hey, they pretty much have replicated the banking experience. We don't really need to deal with a regular bank anymore. We'll just do it all under the Apple umbrella. We're, we're not there yet, but we're certainly heading in that direction. And it's pretty clear that Apple wants to wants to make that happen because, again, uh, it will own more of the pie of all of those monthly expenses that we pay to our service providers.
0: Well, they have that Apple... Uh, pay later feature uh, rolling out in the US, not here uh, coming to Canada uh, anytime soon. But basically, uh, you can get like a, it's like an Apple loan between 50 to to $1,000 and you can spread payments over, uh, I guess, six to eight weeks, essentially, mm-hmm. um, with no interest from what I understand.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, just, just divide it up and suddenly that very expensive laptop that you had your eye on or the iPhone suddenly becomes a, a realistic purchase because, well, you don't have to lay out all that cash now. I mean, it's 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 kind of pulling from the same playbook that uh, payment processors, credit card operators have been using for decades. Um, but, you know, now it's, it's, it's being seen as kind of a benevolent extension of the smartphone that you already know and use and love. Um, and i I remember when they introduced the apple pay later when they were describing it uh, during uh, their keynote uh, my first thought was it's almost like a trojan horse you know it it seems like a a, a benign or a trivial feature oh just split up the price and pay for it in four easy four easy payments it's almost like a late night infomercial but if you think about the financial underpinning of an offering like that you kind of have to operate like a bank you have to have all those financial pieces in place uh, very complex financial dealings in the background have that infrastructure uh, ready to service it. Uh, and of course, none of that is visible to the consumer, but it's all there in the background. And Apple is building out a very sophisticated framework to provide financial services and being very methodical about introducing them in a very simple, uh, you know, sort of kind of easy to digest manner uh, all, You know, over a very extended period of time. I would expect Apple to continue to be doing this Uh, for years to come until we sort of turn around and go, whoa, wait, what just happened here? Uh, This is where we are. And so I think it's inevitable. Uh, You can only sell so many iPhones to so many people. And at some point, which is what Apple has been doing, you find other ways, services and financial services, to drive revenue, recurring revenue, over the life of those devices. Uh, and, And Apple is pulling it off masterfully to a degree that only it can. Because unlike most of its Android-based competitors, Apple, uh, rather uniquely, has that control of the entire ecosystem. Nobody else does. And it's kind of surprising that no one else has figured that out by now.
0: So none of the competitors like the Samsungs of the world can even come close to creating this ecosystem, can they?
1: No, they can't. Because if you think about it, Samsung uses someone else's operating system, uh, Android, Google's Android, uh, across multiple devices. And each device has a different environment Uh, within it so for example when Apple introduces a new version of iOS within just a few months Uh, three quarters, uh, 80% plus of all end users uh, using iOS devices in fact have upgraded to the new operating system. That makes it significantly easier to roll out financial services that require some pretty heavy security infrastructure to make them work properly. Much more difficult to do if you're trying to do that into the very fractured uh, Android landscape where you've got a a very heterogeneous hardware environment, lots of different phones. Uh, 18 months after a new version of Android is released, you know they're barely into double digit penetration um so it's very difficult for a company like samsung to deploy that kind of um you know that kind of service across its 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 ecosystem because it is nowhere near as well developed or as homogeneous as apple's is it's possible but it's a much steeper climb for a company like samsung certainly google could use its power as the you know the major domo of the android world to bring its vendor partners in line and spearhead such an effort. Um, but they've tried that before with, with other services and you know nobody wants to be uh, kind of folded in with everyone else. Samsung introduced Bixby because it didn't want to follow Google's lead. Uh, this will be exactly the same thing. Uh, Google will not succeed in creating that commonality. Apple already has it because it built it itself.
0: It's interesting because um, they're backed by Goldman Sachs in the U.S., uh, which is using MasterCard payment uh, technology. How soon do you feel that this could come to Canada? It it always seems that uh, for any finance or or payment type technology uh, in the past, like with Apple Wallet, for example, it took a lot longer to get up to our neck of the woods than it did. In the U.S. and yeah, other places,
1: and I think part of it is 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 you know when you, when you are introducing a new uh, smartphone, the, the regulatory bar isn't that high, and it's fairly well known in Canada, and so it's fairly easy to certify the iPhone north of the border as it is south of the border. Very different when you are introducing financial services because Canada's financial landscape is very different, and the regulatory oversight is very different in Canada, and our market isn't as large to justify that kind of investment, so it's a harder lift to do it in Canada, and the rewards just aren't there to a company like Apple. So they're not in such a rush uh, to introduce it in Canada. It will come here eventually, it will event, they will eventually figure out, they'll learn from large markets like the US, how to deploy these services at scale and do so profitably. And once they do, it will come to Canada, but we're talking years, not months. Uh, and, of course, it won't be as, as soon as you and I wish. And those, uh, you know, very competitive rates that are being offered on this savings account, you know, well above 4%, I suspect that eventually when it comes to Canada, it's not going to be quite as rosy for Canadian consumers. <laughs> Our numbers may be better, but certainly not like what we're seeing in the U.S. The good news is, is long-term, any uh, introduction of a tech company driving financial services will put pressure on our existing banking infrastructure, maybe make them a little bit more competitive. So uh, I welcome Apple's arrival, but it probably won't happen sooner now.
0: We're going to have to take a break here on the App Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking about all these Chinese shopping apps that are becoming very popular. They uh, offer all sorts of uh, fantastic deals, but who's behind many of these apps? We'll dig into that. You're listening to the App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Eggerbo here with Carmi Levy. We're going to talk about some of the uh, Chinese shopping apps that are climbing the charts in the app stores. The The latest one is Timu. And you might have seen some of the ads online uh, and on television uh, as well. I mean, they're everywhere. And they offer incredible deals on a lot of different items. You know, obviously a lot of tech items and cables and accessories, uh, iphone cases but they're also into clothing in a big way and other household items carmen have you had a chance to use any of these
1: uh, i have they're showing up in my in my social media feeds uh, because I, of course i i stopped to look at one of them once because i was curious and now i'm being inundated inundated with them team of course is the one that's getting all the attention now but you know wish has been around for a little while there's another one called aliexpress um you know and 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 they get our attention initially because oh my god that stuff is so cheap holy cow how do they do that 70 percent off of course i'm going to stop scrolling through my feed and read it because i every we all want to save a buck now of course um but you know the more you dig into this app the more you realize it's one of those You kind of get what you pay for uh, and there really is no such thing as a free lunch and yes it looks like a like a great deal I I certainly would like that watch I've had my eye on for 85% off um, or those (laughs) cables for you know a third the price of what I'm paying either in store or on Amazon Um, but then when I get to it I realize it may be an off-brand cable it might not be certified um, which of course presents all sorts of other hazards to my hardware Um, and where is it coming from I never quite know they kind of hide where hide who the vendor is and where they're from timu of course uh, is it, it's based in boston so they have a an office there but really um it's owned by a chinese company uh it's owned by the, the by the company that has the the, the chinese e-commerce platform pinzuo duo um and so think the, the they, they released pin duo duo in china not available outside of china they released timu globally and then they set up an office in the US and you know make it look like like it is a, a Western resource with a with a global headquarters in Ireland when in fact it isn't. just like TikTok, uh, the strings are clearly being pulled from the shadows of Beijing. So I worry about that. I worry about buying things on a platform where I don't quite know where the app comes from, who's controlling it, where that data is going, all of the things that we've been arguing about about TikTok for months now, uh, Timu essentially presents the same thing in the guise of an e-commerce app that presents itself like, you know, cheap Amazon. Um, but really, sometimes I wonder, is it really worth the, the risk for for seeking those kinds of savings? There is no free lunch
0: here. I think you nailed it right there with that description, cheap Amazon. I've I've tried a number of them. Uh, you know, I've tried AliExpress in the past. DHgate is uh, another one. Uh, they're a little bit clunkier. Uh, I started using Shine, and that's spelled uh, S-H-E-I-N. And uh, I really liked it because uh, it, it was a cheap way to get cases, you know, like iPhone cases that you're typically paying like 30 40 $50 for. You can get them for like, in many cases, under $5. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you get what you pay for, right? I mean, yeah. they're not like high-end leather <laughs> cases, but I really liked, um, I have an Apple Watch and you can get Apple Watch straps on there for 5 to $10. And it's kind of nice to be able to accessorize uh, that. But mm-hmm. uh, I tried Timu out uh, recently and it's, Carmi, it's addictive. Because once you get in there, you just start going down this rabbit hole of just, cheap stuff. Like I bought um, a Game Boy knockoff that has 400 games built into it for 15 bucks. But, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I eventually got it and it's still cool, but you can see why it's $15. Do you know, <laughs> do you yeah, know what it's, I mean?
1: It's, it's not a one-to-one comparison to nope. what you would buy from a more traditional either regular retailer or e-commerce retailer. So this is cheap knockoff online stuff. Yeah. Uh, from from sources unknown. And so as long as you go in with your eyes open with that, like that's okay. Cause for a lot of folks, like like you're right, if I'm building a collection of watch straps and I don't want to spend just 75 bucks a strap. Um, then I can buy a, a bunch of cheap ones and then change them every day and not feel guilty about having a collection. So there are certain use cases where it is absolutely, you know, there is a there's a place for this kind of thing. It's kind of like the online version of the dollar
0: store. Yeah, totally, um, but, totally.
1: But, you know, we have to remind ourselves that it it is not, uh, you know, we're we're not getting something cheap and 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 you know, getting exactly the same thing. There is a price to be paid. And I worry about the back end. Again, and you know, not to kind of, you know, beat on that Chinese drum, but anytime a major Chinese-owned platform sort of sets up something quietly in the West, um, sets up offices to make it look like the company is American-owned or European-based. Um I am concerned, uh, and I you know I'll still use the app if if it's worth my while, but I will still will also at the same time raise my hand and say let's at least know who we're doing business with, and let's at least you know go into this with our eyes open, recognizing who this organization is and where where they're based and who they do business with, namely the Chinese government. As long as we're aware of that, I think we're okay.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty aware of, of that still. I mean, the mm-hmm. deals are so, <laughs> they're so good, but you know, I, I've How tried, know? yeah, I've tried buying some of the clothing, like I bought some um, kind of Aqua socks, you know, for when I go kayaking and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and again, I got a great deal, but y- you can see you, you're getting what you, uh, you pay for. Uh, but, you know, to your, your note there about, you know, these are Chinese owned companies, PDD, uh, Duo, uh, mm-hmm. that owns Timu, Timo, they got in trouble over in China. Uh, for uh, basically uh, having kind of malware uh, on on the app itself that took control of Android phones more than uh, they let on, which yeah,
1: and that's it's it's sort of one of the risks. And again, I don't I don't want to make this seem like I'm Apple fanboying here, but that is one of the key architectural differences between Apple's ecosystem and Android's ecosystem is that uh, you know to get a, an app onto an Apple phone is a much higher bar. Um, there's no sideloading on an iPhone, um, whereas there is on an Android device, and the level of validation on the App Store is higher in Apple's landscape than it is in Google's. Um, and so, and again, of course, Android fans will say, well, that allows you to customize the Android experience more, and having used Android devices for much of their existence, I completely agree. However, when it comes to cybersecurity, it's a lot easier for cyber criminals to do their thing on a platform like Android because they don't have to jump through as many hoops in order to get their malware on the device in the hands of an unwitting consumer. So it's just something to keep in mind that as you're downloading apps that you're not aware of where they come from, There is a greater risk if you're not sure of the source uh, and if you're also sideloading it on your device and basically bypassing any protections that are already in place. Uh, Again, one of those things that we, I'm not saying don't do it, but do it with your eyes open and recognize the risks that you're exposing yourself to in the process.
0: Yeah, another thing uh, I've learned, it it takes a while for these products to get here. You know, they're being sourced uh, typically from what I, I know. Uh, over in China, I know they have some wareho- warehouses here. I know Shine does, so they do stock some of the stuff, uh, but expect the, uh, the merchandise to take uh, a few weeks to uh, get to your, your door. Okay, yeah, there's,
1: there, there's no 24-hour shipping. No, there's <laughs> no
0: Timu, Timu Prime, no. Okay, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we've got a couple more topics we're going to be covering. Uh, Alaska Airlines doing away with the check-in kiosks at airports. What could go wrong? And uh, we're going to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. What the heck is going on now? All the uh, state-funded media outlets are being branded by Elon. We'll tell you how that's all going down back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Eggerbo here with Carmi Levy. Uh, We still have uh, a couple more things to talk about. Of course, Twitter here in a moment. Uh, But also, have you experienced a lot of that airline travel hell over the past few years? Those airports have been congested, but... One airline, Alaska Airlines, is looking to do away with the check-in kiosk at the airport. Well, we'll tell you what's going to happen instead and uh, chat about what uh, could go right and what could go wrong. But let's start with Twitter, Carmi. I mean, this is almost like as the world turns in in the tech space. It's like an ongoing soap opera with Elon just continually uh, making changes. I mean, he's cut 80% of the staff. And now it looks like he's going after media outlets that he considers biased. And typically those are government-funded organizations. So BBC, NPR, PBS, ABC down in Australia, and of course in Canada, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC. And so on their Twitter profiles, he's basically labeled them as uh, state-funded media outlets (laughs) because in his mind, they're biased.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um, you know, I I I am almost tired of following this saga for exactly the same reason. Like as I'm looking at the CBC Twitter profile right now, uh, they're no longer because they've announced that they're paused because of this brouhaha with Mr. Musk, uh, they're no longer posting new uh material to any of their Twitter accounts. Um uh, but Elon Musk, of course, has the ability to change. Uh, the label that they put on the on the the accounts, and so right now it says 69% government funded media, uh, and Elon Musk was having fun with it. He kept changing it every time CBC would post something, he would change it in response. Um, this is not how uh, the billionaire owner of a major social media platform needs to behave, but. Uh, and and I shake my head in, in shame watching this play out. Another ugly chapter in a very ugly ongoing story. Uh, but you know, Elon Musk has a very long history of of, of not you know essentially not 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 supporting media uh essentially seeing him seeing himself as the as the anti-media uh being very antagonistic toward media of all stripes particularly those that are at least partially publicly funded like the cbc npr pbs bbc abc in australia um that he has he has always seen them as government mouthpieces not really understanding uh the difference between publicly funded and 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 th- that you can be partially publicly funded by you know independent journalism uh, and 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 produce independent media coverage as well and having worked uh for the cbc you know both as a guest as well as a journalist i can say that from first-hand experience like any other media company that i've ever worked for no one from on high ever told me what i could or could not say or do no one had ever held me to account for my political biases such as they were as a technology analyst um and my coverage was never uh was never you know informed in that way because of it and to hear that from someone like Mr. Musk, amid this landscape of growing mistrust in conventional media, largely driven by the, the, the experiences of the last five or six years during the previous Trump administration, this constant belittling of the media, don't trust what they say. I mean, as a journalist, it, 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 it affects me to my core. Um, uh, you know, This is just another chapter in that, and it is so disingenuous and so incredibly unfair to the craft of journalism uh that i I almost don't want to respond to it to legitimize musk's argument um and i think that's what's playing in at the senior leadership levels of these organizations they're simply they've simply decided you know what it's just not worth it for us to engage in this kind of juvenile back and forth with mr musk uh we don't really get such great engagement on twitter anyway npr i think They realized they were putting all this effort to maintaining their presence across dozens of twitter accounts and compared to other platforms like facebook their level of engagement was almost invisible it's just not worth it the roi isn't there So i think all these organizations are are deciding you know what we're not getting engagement it's not worth it for us it's potentially damaging to our brand to remain part of the elon musk circus so we're out of here we're not going to quit the platform but we're going to pause and we're going to wait for this firestorm to blow over and maybe we'll see maybe things will change in future and we'll re-engage but right now doesn't do us any good to be a part of it we're out of here and i think that makes a heck of a lot of sense and in fact I've been approached a number of times just directly by other people in the media asking, when am I going to do the same thing with my accounts too? And I'm serious. I'm seriously thinking maybe at some point I need to follow that lead because I too feel like I'm getting pulled into it. And like these organizations, I feel it's just really bad for my soul.
0: So in in the mind of Elon Musk, he's obviously going after these organizations, these news organizations, because mm-hmm. he thinks they're biased. But yeah. Everything is biased, Carmi. Everything. Yeah, Every news organization here. has some inherent bias, and it comes down to basically uh, the ownership, um, the funding, I guess, in some degree. Also, the journalists that are working for those organizations. What about Fox News? Yeah. I, so, I like, what is it? What, what, what do they get labeled with? Well, I
1: find the timing of uh, Mr. Musk's actions around NPR and, and CBC and PBS... Uh, very coincidental considering that this is right around the time when Fox's is- Lost the Dominion uh, voting systems lawsuit and has been forced to pay well over seven hundred million dollars in damages for essentially lying and knowing that they were lying about their coverage of the elections of the election based technology that Dominion was rolling
0: out. They've admitted. Um, they've admitted.
1: It, yeah, they were they, lying. They've admitted that. And and anyone who would even casually watch Fox News and I I put news I use news very you know lightly, um, but anyone who had watched them knew full well that that there was no journalistic integrity behind what they were we were seeing on air. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, Elon Musk decides that because uh, because the CBC receives uh, funding from the government, that it is not to be trusted, but Fox News is okay. He won't pick on them today. You know, And again, he owns Twitter. He can make whatever rules he wants. It's not a public trust. Um, it is a privately held company. And so if he wants to make those rules, just like the kids who brought the chant ball uh, to the playground at school back when we were kids their rules and if you don't like it you go play another game and i think that's really what's what's happening here Uh, but i think if you're a news organization like cbc you sort of have to kind of look at this at this brouhaha and say we just this isn't the business that we're in and yes it's incredibly disingenuous of mr musk to you know come after us but not go after fox news but we're not going to have that argument because there's no point there's no point arguing with him because that's not a rational argument to have you're not going to win you're not going to prevail in some kind of way so you just turn it off, move elsewhere, and connect with your stakeholders, your viewers, your listeners uh, in different ways across other platforms that frankly do it way better than Twitter ever will.
0: So I, again, I, 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 I'm just looking at the hypocrisy. And and, and Fox <laughs> yeah. News, I don't want to get into a debate whether that's news or not, but the, mm-hmm. fact, the fact is simple. They, they have an inherent conservative bias. Correct? yeah like I think even the the uh, most vocal supporters of Fox would would uh, uh, agree with that um, so like at, at what point does he stop labeling these these organizations and yeah I think what what about other organ- news organizations like CTV global mm. did, did should they be supporting? I, you know, I like the CBC.
1: That, I, I, I would have hoped that they would, because I would hope that the entire media landscape would band together um, and target uh, an individual like like Mr. Musk, who, like Donald Trump before him, um, spoke loudly uh, and clearly about you know their disdain for media um, and did everything that they could within their power to discredit media and 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 position them as enemies of the state, enemies of the people of course nothing could be more wrong but we know full well there are millions of people out there who buy into this um and it creates this 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 echo chamber ultimately that you know led to january sixth, led to the kind of polarization that we're seeing in the us now uh so i would have liked to have seen every media organization see this as a clear and present threat to journalism in general regardless of where your funding comes from um that when you accuse newsrooms of being anything less than uh you know Fully, you know fully committed to the craft of journalism fully committed to the integrity of you know the walter cronkites and the dan rathers of the world who you know created the templates that we continue to follow to this day um that you know if, if you stand in silence you're essentially allowing it to happen and so i really wish the industry would recognize this and be a little bit more vocal uh, that's not happening um and so you know i i don't know where we go from here but i think the short-term decision that that media organizations and quite frankly a lot of you know companies who do business and use twitter uh that they're ultimately going to have to make is am i better off here here or not not going to get involved in a a political debate because i'm in business to make money and keep the lights on um and and as a result at some point i'm just going to have to go focus my energies elsewhere instead of playing elon musk's game and i think that's really what he wants to do his shiny new object he he kind of realizes that he can tick off major news organizations by calling the names uh, and he can get a response out of them. It's juvenile. It's, 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 it's what a child would do. Yet, for whatever reason, because he's a billionaire, because he launches rockets into space,
0: we accept it from him. And frankly, we shouldn't. Well, this story is only going to get bigger. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, is airline travel heading in the right direction? One airline, Alaska Airlines, I've used them uh, quite a bit in the past. They're looking at doing away with the automated uh, check-in kiosk at airports. We'll tell you what that's all about and uh, where it's all headed. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, my good friend, Carmi Levy out of Toronto. He's uh, one of my favorite tech evangelists and experts uh, out there. We're going to talk airline travel now. And uh, if you have traveled, in the air in the past few years, you probably have some stories. Uh, I still have been traveling uh, quite a bit, even during the pandemic, and it, it, it's gotten a little hairier. Well, now there's uh, a report that Alaska Airlines is starting a three year, two and a half billion dollar project to what they say is improve the airport experience in cities like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco and and LA. And they're looking to modernize uh, the lobby experience, the check-in uh, experience. And that includes removing the old check-in kiosks, which have kind of been the standard now for checking in for all airlines. Is this freaking you out a little bit uh, Carmy?
1: <laughs> oh yes it is. So, you know, I, I've flown a few times uh, over the last few months and just kind of getting back into that groove as well and um, you know there's there's a certain degree of comfort to be had when you walk into an airport and you see uh, a bunch of kiosks with the logo of the airline that you're going to be flying with and you see staff members who are there to help you when you have questions um, you know that that connection that you know you will be taking care of and you will get through this lobby experience in a straightforward manner and what Alaska Airlines is saying, they're saying that you know, of all the complaints that they get, of all the things that happen in an airport, it's that initial lobby experience where a lot of people are just not happy with how it works. Kiosks are often uh, down, and that's been my experience. They often don't work, um, or the software is just weird, doesn't do th- what it's supposed to do. They crash, they hang. Um, and and in many cases, that there is either no staff there to help you, uh, or the staff who are there, uh, you know, aren't specific to the airline and have no idea what's going on on the kiosk. So you end up calling them anyway uh, from your phone, or you use the chat feature on your phone. So what Alaska Airlines is saying is basically they'll get rid of the physical kiosks in uh in the airport and instead shift that capability over to your smartphone so that they'll encourage you to check in before you get to the airport or even if you if you want to check in at the airport you'll do it from your smartphone and then there will have these it'll be based on an iPad, they call it a bag tag station, where you scan your your boarding pass, you get a tag, it prints, and then you you drop your baggage off all in one place. And it's all controlled off of the app on your phone instead of whatever software they've got on the kiosk. So, you know, part of me is a little freaked out because I'm going to sort of lose that point of connection in the airport, but at the same time, I'm thinking, Most of the kiosks weren't working properly the last time I went through the (laughs) airport anyway. So maybe if they have better control over the experience on my smartphone, the software gets updated more, more frequently. It's on my device. It integrates better with my boarding pass and all the other things that I've got electronically related to my travel. Maybe there's potential here, but you know, I I say so with great trepidation because there are so many opportunities for this not to work. Not everyone has a smartphone. Not everyone is adept at using their smartphone as as they probably should be. So I see a future of a lot of people standing in the lobby at the airport fiddling with their phones because they can't get the app to work, and there's nobody there to help them. That, to me, is a dystopian future I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy.
0: It's going to be interesting. They say that 70% of uh, travelers that use Alaska Airlines... Check in before they get to the airport. They want to get that number up to 90%. Uh, and the idea about taking the checkout or check in kiosk out, it theoretically is supposed to reduce time because right now that process takes five minutes or more in some cases to go through all the crazy prompts on there where they say the baggage tag stations will only take about 45 uh, seconds. So uh, they still will have people there. They'll have uh, Apple devices as well to to help folks that uh, need help. But to your point, Carmi, not everyone is tech savvy. I remember during the pandemic, you know, when you had to produce all the, uh, you know, additional vaccination information uh, and, mm-hmm. and most people had that stored on their phones. I was traveling over in Europe during that time and it it was chaos, right? Because, uh, a lot of the older folks just didn't know how to use the technology properly mm-hmm. and there was it was it was madness there were people literally crying at the, at the gate because they just couldn't make it all all work so right now they say 70% of people check in before they get to the airport i mean that's a lot but there's still 30% that's going to yeah. gum the system up
1: exactly it's always the small minority the outliers the ones at the edge of the of the spectrum who will gum up the works for everyone else and for themselves of course and uh unfortunately the the in-airport experience doesn't deal well with anomalies doesn't deal well with people who can't navigate themselves doesn't deal well with people who have trouble with the technology Um, and i think that's going to be a problem area Um, and i think this is it's an opportunity for airlines to come up with better Software, better apps that are cleaner, um, that get you through the airport more consistently, but do it in a secure way. Um, but at the same time, I you know, I, I look at my 80-something-year-old mom, she'll, oh, she'll forget probably it. never fly now because yeah. of it. There's no way. Yeah, forget and, it. and even if I were right there alongside with her, um, she doesn't have a smartphone. So for me to navigate her is, is like, now that she doesn't have a phone, what do I do now? How do I incorporate all of her stuff on my device uh, like there are answers that I don't even have questions to and and i'm I'm an expert. I mean, this is what I do for a living. so if if it gives me stress and before I go to the airport, I'm loading up my phone and configuring it and making sure that everything is already ready and pre-positioned so that when I get into the airport, I know exactly what I need to show on the screen. Um, if it stresses me out, uh, imagine someone who this isn't their job and, now multiply that by thousands of people, and the small percentage of them <laughs> who won't be able to sort of figure it but, out for themselves. But Carmi, it's relying on
0: it's relying on technology all down this path as well. Uh, yeah. Part of that is okay, great. You've checked in and you've print out uh, a bag tag at the new I- iPad bag drop kiosk. It's still a kiosk, right? <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: but <laughs> Ironically, it's, they're replacing one kiosk with another. Yeah.
0: So, But then, okay, you get the tags, and then they're installing automated bag drop systems. And this is where things go wrong, too. I, I remember being in Toronto Pearson back uh, a few months ago, and I, I traveled with WestJet, and they've got those automatic bag drops, right? It, you're mm-hmm. supposed to put yeah. it in, and it scans the tag. It wasn't working properly, Carmi. And it was... <laughs> It was, I've never seen anything like it. People were losing their minds, right? Because people would be bringing the bag up and it, the thing pretended to scan, but it wouldn't accept the bag. And mm-hmm. there were literally hundreds of people in line yelling and angry. And, and there were no humans there to basically tell people, you know, hey, we've got a problem. You know what I mean? Like everyone was just left to guess what was happening uh, essentially. Yeah. So because that system went down, the entire thing just collapsed and so that's what i worry about with these automated systems like they got to be bulletproof man or it's they have
1: to be they have to be totally bulletproof and they have to be tested like every potential use case and scenario that can you break it needs to be tested for it's that quality assurance that 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 acceptance testing that we call that we call it in this in the software business um, needs to be bulletproof you're absolutely right and 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 Organizations, airlines have to look at this not as an opportunity to, hey, we can reduce our head cap in the airport. They should be increasing their head cap in the airport. They should have no, more people on the ground.
0: They're reducing it, the Carmi. Car- Car-
1: Car- exactly. They're going to reduce it.
0: That was the problem with WestJet. There was no humans. Yep. There was just like and, one and, poor... And
1: that's the tragedy. Yeah. Exactly.
0: There was one poor WestJet employee there, and <laughs> God, uh, you know, if she could just wither away and die, like, <laughs> she was like... She had no control she she didn't even have information do you know what i mean so they they need more humans if they're going to do this to to help shepherd us into this brave new world
1: i i completely agree and i know that there's there's a movement afoot in ottawa to revisit the airline travelers bill of rights and to because it was overhauled a couple of years back but clearly it, it it is nowhere near where it needs to be Um, But I think that should be part of it. There should be guarantees from the airlines and from the airport authorities on, um, you know, how they are going to staff themselves to have sufficient numbers of people on the ground to both facilitate our use of the technology and to guide us when that technology doesn't work as advertised. Um, It's always going to work, Carmi. The airport experience is a nightmare.
0: (laughs) Okay. uh, We're going to have to call it a show here, Carmi. I want to thank you for joining us once again.
1: Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks, Mike. I
0: want to give a shout out to our sister show, Get Connected. It's on every Saturday across the Chorus Radio Network. You can find out more information on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. It's available as a podcast as well. Both of these programs, the app show and Get Connected, on your favorite uh, podcast software. And uh, I want to also thank all the folks that helped put the program together here back at the studio. And uh, we will see you again next time. Mike and Carmi signing off.